You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. And this is a podcast pairing discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know, starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. (laughs) I said that with a straight face. This is Distilling Theology. Welcome back, men, women, and children alike to our family program. This is Distilling Theology. Uh, We are happy to have you back with us. I am, of course, your uh, bearded co-host, Justin, uh, joined by none other than the long, flowing-haired, dark-voiced man himself, Balake Courtright. How are you doing, my friend? It's 90 degrees in this apartment, (laughs) and, uh, you know... I'm so trying humid, to think. Dude, it's so humid. It's it's been. So here's the thing. We're both some some good mountain men from upstate New York. You throw us in like negative twenty, we're fine. Yeah, we're good. Throw us in ninety degrees and humid, and we're basically useless. So, no oh man, I'm good. Life is good. There's been some exciting things in life lately. Uh, church has been absolutely fire with the sermons, and. Uh, you know, I'm excited, man. These last few weeks, this really because of the way we recorded these, it's been like two months on the doctrine of God, which yeah, I love it, man. It's been so good. It's made me reevaluate a lot of things more closely. That classical theism, bro. Dude, it does work. I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. it. Does work, man. Um, yeah. How have you been, man? Good. Like you said, it's been very uh, sweaty, uh, which is not my cup of tea. Uh, however. Uh, it has been good. It has been very um, busy. I've been very busy with uh, with life and stuff and things as usual. Um, but overall, I mean, it could always be worse. That's what I always say whenever I, whenever things are going, uh, you know, just kind of average. It could always be worse. You know, it could always be worse. Um, but speaking of it, could always be worse. What are we drinking tonight, Blake? <laughs> oh man, dude, it. We could do a lot worse than oh, what yeah. we're drinking tonight. This is this is. One of my favorite just mainline scotches that I always come back to. I always have a bottle on my shelf. I couldn't find my sample bottle uh, in time, but I have a bottle of it on the shelf. So I just poured the bottle of it. Um, I'm speaking, of course, of Talisker 10-Year, which is one of the classic malts from Diageo's lineup. It is aged, obviously, 10 years. It's bottled at 45.8% alcohol per volume. Um, our boy Andrew Owen in the DT Facebook group could help us out. I do believe Talisker is chill filtered and I think they might add some coloration. However, as Eric pointed out when we were tasting like a Vulin with him at the end of the day, like as a purist, I'm a little bothered by those things, but mm-hmm. it tastes really good and I don't care True. because you know, the flavors there. And so even if, you know, they get things wrong, like baptism and you know, other stuff and, <laughs> and, uh, polity, they're still, the, Listen, the core Linda. is still so good. I mean, that door swings both ways, right? For Baptists and Presbyterians. I, I'm happy anytime I get to worship with you in your church. And Absolutely. Uh, you know, same thing. So, yeah, man, it's it's such a good scotch. This is actually, I think, one of the first ones we tasted that that weekend that uh, that started it all. As it, it It's true. It's true. We we tasted quite a few. Uh, yeah, it, was, it was it was it was one of my favorites. We slept well that night. We did indeed. 
But it uh, mm-hmm. it smells great. I mean, I, I'm excited. This is bringing me back to when we first got together, man. It, it was it was an exciting time. It's my introduction to mm. um, something other than Irish whiskey <laughs> and cheap and cheap bourbon. Sure. Um, yeah. And so yeah, it, it was it was really one of the things that opened my taste buds. And so to be able to dive back in uh, on the show that spawned out of that time together. Uh, yeah. It's really kind of a neat experience. This is also episode 75, which is part 10 of our Theology Proper series. So, you know, we've got part 10, part 10 for the 10 year. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it technically, I think I think the Trinity could have been its own little micro series, but I'm still counting it in the, the grand scheme of things, as it were. One other yeah. note about Talisker, like you, it was, for me, it was the transition to where I started to actually like smoky whiskeys because mm-hmm. until then the only thing i tried was i had a lafroig and i did not like it at all my friend jake was going but well, do you taste the seaweed and i was like yeah and it tastes <laughs> gross i don't i don't enjoy this why why are you doing this to me and i had a leg of Ulin and i didn't love it and then i had this on the rocks at the white face lodge actually with a friend of mine yeah uh uh, and we sat there and he goes, oh, they have a Talisker. He was in, he was in the Navy and he goes, they have a Talisker on the rocks. Let's, let's drink that. I'm like, okay. And I took a sip of it. I was like, I like this. And so tonight I don't have it on the rocks, although it's hot enough. I might go get an ice cube at some point and just <laughs> drink it that way. But what do you, what do you smell? Let's see. It's, it's got a very, I don't know, thick smell. You get, um, pears and apples, but also smoke. A little bit of sea salt. Mm-hmm. I also get that. You said pears. I get kind of a, a citrus peel, like lemon or orange mm-hmm. peel smell. Almost um, an apricot even. There's also a touch of iodine. And one thing will get it more in the taste. I've tasted Talisker so many times. Oh, yeah. Dude. But there's a little hint of the black pepper already in the scent, along with mm-hmm. the smokiness. Mm-hmm. And the way I describe this to people is like your, your Lagavulin is like a, a very meaty smoke. Uh, like a nice brisket. Your Lafroig 10 is like a very um, barbecuey smoke. Your Ardbeg is very charcoaly. To me, Talisker is like the camp smoke, pipe tobacco smoke. Mm. What's um, What's interesting too is you were talking about tasting Lagavulin for the first time and not liking it. It took me for a wild ride the first time. I wasn't expecting oh, yeah. it. It was it was very strong. Um, but now going back, having developed my palate quite a bit over the last year and a half, two years, um, like there's times where I crave Lagavulin. It, it's so good. It's so delicious. Uh, even just the eight, uh, which I, I think we, we all kind of agreed is probably one of our favorites oh, out of yeah. the bunch. Uh, it was just so good, so delicious. And, um, and so now I just have a I have a special spot in my heart for for anything peaty and smoky. Mm. Amen, man. Amen. Well, on that note, let's not let yeah. us not uh, withhold this this wonderful time together. This, this ordinary means of grace. Ah, uh, well, you know. Uh, cheers. <laughs> it's okay. We haven't gotten to sacramentology yet. We'll, we'll <laughs> talk about why that's not correct later. <laughs> I mostly just wanted to see you cringe. <laughs> mm. 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 man that's good yeah it's definitely str- a little bit stronger with that black pepper the peat but almost like a, a brine yeah and I do ah. get that iodine you get the brininess through the middle mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you definitely get the sea salt 
going. But then there's like this delivery of orchard fruits as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see the pear now. Mm-hmm. But dude, that finish though, that was the thing that stood stuck with me the first time I had Talisker. And, it's, and I'm being reminded of it right yeah. now. Yeah. Is you get the, the warmth of the whiskey going down. And it's like it's like someone's billowing up camp smoke and pipe tobacco mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. way down and black pepper like that is just so pronounced and and prolific in this yeah. uh yeah in this finish. Well, it's got a very long finish. Um, even toasted malts and and sugary underlays at some points too. Like it, there's a little bit of a sugary sweetness as well. Um, it's very very um, for a ten year especially. It's very refined and, and delicious. Yeah, man. That's the thing. I think this also drinks a bit above its age. Mm-hmm. Lafroy 10 shows its age. Glenmorangie 10 shows its age. A lot of scotches don't tend to taste good until 12 to 16 years. Talisker leans into that assertiveness. Yeah. And I really love it. It's yeah. Yeah. It's just solid. Like if I couldn't have any other whiskey ever again and I had to pick just one that would cover it, it would probably be this one. Sure. Because the 18 is too expensive. I don't love the the storm. The dark storm is available only overseas. So, and I don't know if we did the Game of Thrones one yet. I don't think we have. And that no, one's a, oh, still it's on the okay. Show. It's okay. Yeah. But this is just, man, that finish is still going. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow. It still, it still sits with it. You know what I'd choose. Yeah, I do. I do. Which is fair. <laughs> That's fair. Or would it be the 12 or the 14? Probably the 12 just because of the price. Yeah. If, yeah. I, if it was the only one that I could... That because it's it's similar to the fourteen with a little bit less of a tropical twist in in the fruitiness, but it's still very delicious and very subtle and very uh, wholesome. <laughs> it's a very wholesome scotch. <laughs> there we go, wholesome, wholesome, and Wait very a Baptist. This is and, wholesome content. Yeah, and this is very. Uh, this is the the pre- PCA of scotches. <laughs> I don't know. That's not uh, anyway. Uh, just as a reminder, folks, the giveaway of Dr. Donis Vidu's book, "The Same God Who Works All Things: Inseparable Operations in Trinitarian Theology," is still going on. Head to distillingtheology.com/slash/giveaway uh, for more information. That's going on through Friday. Listen, guys. Before we jump into the topic tonight, we're basically going to cover um, just kind of do an overview, some reflections on these last ten <laughs> or so episodes on theology proper but um but before we do that we as usual we'd like to open with prayer uh and and i chose uh page 200 at the value of vision spiritual growth because hopefully over this time we've grown spiritually uh with our relationship with the lord and our knowledge of him and hopefully in our wisdom and understanding uh of the nature of god uh, as we pursue an, an understanding of who he is and and um how he is uh, so if you have that, uh, turn to page 200, Value Vision, get a copy, you won't regret it, but pray with me. O Thou Most High, in the way of Thy appointment I am waiting for Thee. My desire is to Thy name, my mind to remembrance of Thee. I am a sinner, but not insensible of my state. My iniquities are great and numberless, but Thou art adequate to my relief, for Thou art rich in mercy. The blood of Thy Son can cleanse from all sin, the agency of thy spirit can subdue my most powerful lusts. Give me a tender, wakeful conscience that can smite and torment me when I sin. May I be consistent in conversation and conduct, the same alone as in company, in prosperity and adversity, accepting all thy commandments as right and hating every false way. May I never be satisfied with my present spiritual progress, but to faith add virtue, 
knowledge, temperance, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity? May I never neglect what is necessary to constitute Christian character and needful to complete it. May I cultivate the expedient, develop the lovely, adorn the gospel, recommend the religion of Jesus, accommodate myself to thy providence. Keep me from sinking or sinning in the evil day. Help me to carry to ordinary life portions of divine truth and use them on suitable occasions so that its doctrines may inform, its warnings caution, its rules guide, and its promises comfort me. Amen. Amen, man. Well, Blake. Yes, sir. I have a question for you. (laughs) The look on your face. Uh, We've been talking about the last several weeks, theology proper. Uh, Why don't you give us a quick refresher of what theology proper is for those who may be just tuning in, or um, it's been a hot minute since we've actually just gone through the definition, so why don't you explain what theology proper means, and we'll go from there. Sure. Theology proper is a head of doctrine within uh, systematic theology, which is a discipline of the study of theology. We have systematic theology, biblical theology, philosophical, practical, all these different things. The goal of systematic theology being to categorize doctrinal statements and and formulate them using the exegesis of Scripture, using the, the grand narrative presented from biblical theology. But systematic theology seeks to distill these doctrines uh, by categories rather than uh, through the line of redemptive history or um, or just straight exegesis. Uh, it's trying to synthesize a doctrine. What does the Bible teach us about a particular doctrine? And theology proper is the doctrine of God. Naturally, that's a huge topic, which is why mm-hmm. this episode is part 10 uh, of a series that actually started last year. We did three episodes last year, and then we've just been going week after week. Uh, we had a three-part series on the doctrine of the Trinity, which falls properly within the doctrine of God. And we've done episodes on divine impassibility, on inseparable operations, mm-hmm. uh, refreshers on on these things. We talked about classical theism. And, you know, the thing is, we'll, we will come back to this. But tonight, I just wanted to sit down for a little while with you and reflect on this doctrine. Because I don't know about you, but like diving back into this has been so refreshing to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, even as I was dealing with some things this week um, on... The Lord's Day, I started the day by reading, uh, originally I was going to go read some particular things, and then I ended up in John's Gospel, in John chapter 1, and reflecting on our God and who he is in his nature as he has revealed himself was far more what I needed in that moment Mm -hmm. than the particular encouraging scripture I was looking for, and to be in awe of who God is and of the mystery of his person's and his being just captivated me and helped lift me through uh, what I was experiencing in that moment. So all that to say, the doctrine of God is really special to me. Oh, absolutely. Uh, It's something that I've grown greatly in appreciation of over the last several years, especially as my Mm -hmm. theology has reformed and as I've grown uh, and been sanctified, the more and more that I learn about who God is and his nature, the more and more I'm reminded of the importance of these doctrines how incredibly important these doctrines are to our, not just to our our salvation, but our sanctification, right? As we grow towards him, 
really, really the only way we're going to do that is if we know him more for who he is. And in turn, Mm. the more we know who he is, the more we're going to be sanctified. Yes. So there's just this cyclical process of being sanctified, which is just a wonderful, um, powerful thing. And the more I reflect on these doctrines, these, these, Mm. uh, these particular doctrines of, of the nature of God, the more I stand in awe of who, not just who he is, but the gospel, the yes. fact that who God is and the yes. fact that he would see me in eternity past and, and, and enter into time uh, and enter into creation incarnate and die on a cross for me, for my sins, the sins that I commit mm-hmm. against him. Like that, that is when you understand who God is and you understand who, well, frankly, who we are and the gravity of our sin the less and less it makes sense <laughs> as far as understanding why God would do something other than uh, it pleases him to do so. <laughs> like I, I can't put a, I can't put a, a lid on, on, on understanding why God would save me wretched sinner though I am. And yet he, and yet he has, he has saved me. And, and so reflecting on my salvation in light of who God is, is incredibly yes. humbling. You know, we we often hear from uh, the um, the peanut gallery <laughs> that that us that Calvinists are arrogant or we're proud yeah. or this doctrine is is these doctrines are arrogant doctrines. But if you properly understand them, they can be nothing but humbling, mm. right? They can yes. be nothing but yes. putting you in your place, reminding <laughs> you that you are nothing without God. Yes. So, yeah, it's it's been quite a journey. Mm. Yeah, man. And what is amazing to me, as you alluded to there, is how much it affects everything else that we believe, right? Which makes sure. sense, but it's like, we, I think it's easy to, to feel like this is abstract and a little heady. Like, particularly when we start to get into classical theism, divine simplicity, inseparable operations, doctrines like immutability, aseity, uh, some of these things start to feel abstract and it feels like we're talking about the god of the philosophers rather yeah, than the god yeah. of the bible and and one thing that i saw online and i don't remember who posted it so friend on facebook who posted this you can comment in the group and remind me that you were the one who said it but it was something to the effect of the god of the bible is you know certainly not only the god of the philosopher mm. but he's also definitely not less <laughs> like the God of, of yes. the Bible revealed to us in scripture is not less than the self-existent, perfect, singular being who is simple and all of these things. So all that to say, theology proper matters a lot. We hope that as we've examined these things, you guys are encouraged, that you're encouraged to go and study it for yourselves. Absolutely. Um, we're going to have a, a long recommended reading list broken out by categories at the end of this episode to kind of recap everything we've mentioned the last couple of weeks. But I guess I'll just start off right at the bat because we kind of touched on why, why this study of theology proper matters. But Justin, why why does the doctrine of the Trinity matter? You know, now yeah, so, let's get a little specific. Absolutely, the Trinity is remarkably important, right? Um, I would say it's one of the most essential doctrines of theology proper and who and, and, and classical theism, understanding who God is. Right? We have to understand the Trinity. If we screw up the Trinity, our salvation is at stake. 
right? And so there's a couple of things, um, and and I'm totally stealing here from a couple of different articles, particularly Bless. Uh, there's a great one from the Gospel Coalition, believe it or not, and um, <laughs> throwing shade, but uh, there's some good content there. Um, number one, the doctrine of the Trinity, right? It distinguishes our God. One thing that separates our God from all of the other gods, lowercase g, gods of this world, uh, is the nature of who God is, right? We can't even begin to comprehend how the Trinity's interworkings actually work, right? Yes. How right. he, how he, how his relationship works in that way. Yeah. And yet we know that it's true. He's revealed himself as such. He's revealed himself as, uh, as, as Trinitarian in nature. And yes. so therefore, one of the things that everybody seems to get wrong, who, who is a critic of, um, Trinitarian theology is they don't understand the Trinity at all. They misrepresent it every single time. Three gods, uh, or one God in three different forms, um, or, or they always fall into some heresy when trying to describe the Trinity uh, as, they, as they criticize it. But we recognize that those things are untrue. And so the Trinity distinguishes our God from all of the other gods. Yes. And even from the gods of uh, those who might claim to be Christians but are not. Yeah. Um, it also helps make sense of point two. It helps make sense of the Old Testament, mm-hmm. right? When we when we uh, read through the Old Testament, we see the mention. We see over a hundred times uh, the Spirit of God being mentioned, um, uh, in in see, seeing as uh, a defeater of the enemy. Um, mm-hmm. We see the Son of Man. We see uh, all kinds of references to all different um, names referring to God. Right, referring to the Spirit, referring to the Son, and re- referring to the Father, but then we also see very clearly that it's monotheistic; that there's one God, and the only way that really makes sense is if you have the Trinitarian theology, mm-hmm. right? The only way you can really make sense of of those writings in that way is if your theology is Trinitarian in nature, um, which mm-hmm. then going forward, it then point three kind of creates a framework for the New Testament, right? Um, it helps place the New Testament in light of the Old Testament and puts the Old Testament in light of the New Testament and vice versa. Um, oftentimes, we, you know, regarding covenant theology, you you hear that uh, the Baptists and Presbyterians do those opposite. But ultimately, we can recognize that it's in many ways both. Um, and so we recognize God was not a created human, uh, right? And, and, and we recognize that he was fully human uh, in Jesus. Jesus was fully human, but also fully God. Um which would have been really hard to explain without Trinitarian theology, because uh, that framework now in the Trinity um, already is established for us to start understanding uh, the hypostatic union and so on. Um, yeah. Also, uh, we see in the relationship of the Trinity, right? It's one of our basis for understanding the relationship between God and the church, yeah. right? The bride and the bridegroom. Um because the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are perfectly united before the creation of the world, uh, loving, serving, glorifying one another, we can also be confident that God didn't create us out of a needy desire to fill some sort of yes. need in himself, uh, which is good news for us, because we can never fill a need in God, of course. Um, he's perfectly fulfilled in the Trinity, and yet he chose to create us anyway, and then inv- invites us uh, to be um, fulfilled in joy that overflows from who God is. <laughs> Um, right. Yeah, and so we are united to him in love 
because of who God is and because of the Trinity. Um, we are we are together in part because of the Son, right? We are joint heirs with Christ. Yes. If if Christ was not God, how are we joint heirs in His yeah. <laughs> inheritance, right? Um, and then of course uh, the Trinity helps explain our mission, right? Um, mm-hmm. The gospel. Right, each person of the Godhead glorifies the other, and then we are invited then to glorify to, to glorify God and to testify of God and to God through the world that He's made. And so, in the cross, we see the ultimate glorification, right, of the of the Father as the Son lays down His life uh, for us in order that we might receive the Spirit. So we see the Trinity in the Gospel, we see the Trinity in our salvation, and then we see the Trinity in our mission as we are then likewise called to lay down our lives for others for the sake of the Gospel to go forth and make disciples of all nations. And so. The Trinity also makes impact uh, on on the great on the Great Commission, and so mm-hmm. um, look, it is a absolutely central doctrine to the faith. Uh, it is central to 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 understanding who God is, even though we'll never fully understand Him. Yeah. Um, but the only the only kind of God we could fully understand would be a God made in our own image, right? We'd never if you could fully understand God, that <clears throat> totally defeats the definition of God, right? <laughs> um, but uh, this helps us get, gives us some grasp um, of really grasping onto the nature of God and then the nature of all these other things, which would be impossible with some sort of uh, heretical twist of, of this doctrine. Indeed. That's good. Solid. Yeah. So tell us about classical theism, Blake, and why it matters. Sure. So classical <laughs> theism is a set of doctrinal affirmations about the nature of God we speak of God's attributes. We speak of God's essence. We speak of the persons that make up the Trinity. We speak of God's acts in creation, right? His external acts. So, and we talked about this in the weeks past, but it's important for the discussion, right? There's the Trinity ad intra, or the imminent Trinity, yes, which is the Trinity as God exists within himself, which as you already said, we can't really grasp that beyond the, the handful of revelations that we've been provided in Scripture. No way. No way. But then there's the Trinity ad extra, or the economic Trinity. And it's not as though there's two different Trinities. It's just saying there's the way God exists within himself, and there's what we can perceive of God through revelation and through his acts in creation, uh, in the economy of redemption, as it's called in theology. And um, it's important to keep those things in mind. A lot of people fail to make that distinction, and the consequences of that are pretty catastrophic. When you read things about the incarnation back into the imminent trinity. You run the risk of, as we talked about last week with Dr. Vidu, patropassianism, where you're saying that the Father suffers on the cross. Right. So, so we right. have to be very careful, and classical theism helps us to guard these things. Classical theism includes the classical doctrines, that God is immutable, he doesn't change. Mm-hmm. That God is impassable, he isn't, he isn't passionate, he doesn't have passions, he can't be moved to something. Uh, we confess God's aseity, that he is of himself, his self-existence, right? We don't say that God self-created because that's a contradiction, and we don't say that God is created by something else because that's heresy. We say that God is ase, he is of himself, he is self-existent. Classical theism also brings us to doctrines like simplicity and inseparable operations that are interconnected. And I love how Dr. Vidu laid that out for us last week, that inseparable mm-hmm. operations is really derived out of the text. It's, it's, it's in many ways, more exegetical and sure. redemptive historical. And then simplicity and the doctrine of the Trinity almost follow inseparable operations. 
more so than inseparable operations being this thing that gets which gets kind of tossed in translation, which is why evangelicalism tossing off classical theism is such a tragedy and such a frightening predicament that we find ourselves in, right? You have people in the circles of social Trinitarianism utterly mm-hmm. rejecting classical categories of eternal generation, eternal spiration for the spirit, eternal generation of the son. Um, and you have people throwing off simplicity and inseparable operations and, and going for what Dr. Vidu called the, the soft inseparability of, well, they're all in agreement together. Like our podcast is soft inseparability with the three of us in three locations working together as three separate wills. So you have people saying that there are three wills in God and that the son is eternally subordinate to the father and all of these things that we'll, we'll talk about, but it's like a lot of this stems from dropping classical theism because you mm-hmm. can't say things like that. If you say yes. that God is simple in his essence, that he is undivided, that his acts are hard, hard inseparability, that everything that one person does, all three persons do because it's one act. It's one agent right. acting, right? which is important to bear in mind. And so classical theism in many ways helps to guard us from these errors and, I'm very grateful that we live in a time right now, as he said last week again, that it's like a renaissance of yes. classical theism and interest in these doctrines. And if people want to study these doctrines, if they want to dive in and get some of these good books online, if they want to be able to pull up indexed resources, Justin, where can they go? They can check out our sponsor of tonight's episode. That is Lagos 9 Bible Software. Uh, incredibly powerful Bible studying software. It comes with hundreds of books, references, every sort of concordance and and lexicon and, and tool that you could possibly need uh, to study your Bible uh, in quite literally almost any translation uh, <laughs> that you could possibly want. Um, check it out. Listen, we use it regularly for our episodes. We're able to pull up systematics together and reference things and pull up just using a phrase or maybe a sentence that we remember from something and we're able to pull those things right up, right on the page, uh, right in the resource that we need. Incredible tools. If you're a pastor, there's uh, there's counseling tools, there's sermon writing uh, guides and tools that will help you do these things. Um, So actually, if you want to, if you're interested, check it out, uh, lagos.com slash distilling theology. You can save 10% and also get five free books, um, which is awesome. So, Go check them out. Totally worth uh, the investment. Incredibly powerful software. We love it. We will continue to use it, and we will continue to recommend it, probably whether or not we're sponsored, because it's awesome. (laughs) It is indeed. It is indeed. I'm loving it, man. And it's been super good. Uh, A lot of the books that we're going to recommend are available on Lagos. Um, So if you want to start building your own library on the doctrine of God, like this is a really good way to do that. And I can pull up Herman Bavinck's Our Wonderful or Our Reasonable Faith. I can pull up my books on my mobile phone as well yeah. as on my laptop. So like my yeah. library is with me all the time, which is also amazing. if you're like in a small apartment or someplace where you can't necessarily have massive bookshelves, seriously, yeah. uh, or let's just say you're a college student or a seminary student, uh, trying to travel back and forth with those kind of references would be crazy. Um, seriously, having it on your computer and on your phone, totally totally irreplaceable great stuff um so anyway back to our content (laughs) as we continue to study these doctrines right we we're trying to understand who god is words matter right words are very important 
uh, words can separate truly uh, heresy from orthodoxy uh, just with just with our words. And so uh, what are some reasons why we need deeply robust, precise language when talking about God? Well, if we don't have precision about what we're saying, we can say things that people who don't actually believe what we believe can agree with. And there's not really agreement there. Like some people might mm-hmm. say, well, that, that's good. We should do that. Well, no, no, we shouldn't. Because if I say, well, I worship God, or I'm a, you know, I believe in God, I'm a theist. Well, great. There's a lot of other religions, false religions that can affirm <laughs> that with me. So let me narrow it a little. Well, I'm a monotheist. Okay, well, that's at least Judaism, Islam, Christianity, and Christian cults. Okay, you've narrowed it a little, but that's still, you're still not actually <laughs> affirming anything, right? Yep. Well, I believe in Jesus. Okay, great. So do historians who are atheists. They think Jesus was a historical person who walked around. Like, so do the Muslims. Right. So do so the having, Mormons. Right. So having precision, and, I, and I'm using very broad examples to make a point. Precision isn't just some guys sitting in their armchairs trying to make things complicated. We're, we're endeavoring to have a conversation, and we can't have that conversation without that precise and accurate language to speak about God. And the church fathers did some very, very heavy lifting for us in the third and fourth century in particular, and the fifth and sixth, right? Those early centuries of the church dealing with the doctrine of God and Christology. They did some very heavy lifting for us. And literally, to your point earlier, right, uh, you know, the difference of a word can be the difference between heresy and, and orthodoxy. Well, in the case of Nicaea, it was the difference of a letter. Mm-hmm. Homoousios versus homoousios. It was literally an iota, uh, an I, a letter of difference. Yeah. was the difference between orthodoxy and heresy, right? Are we saying that God is one, uh, you know, that the Father and Son are of a similar substance, which is effectively opening us up to tritheism and all kinds of other crazy problems or are we saying that they are one substance the same right. substance right homoousios and so this like like this has always been around heresy always refines doctrine because we have to and as a result the church has wrestled with these things for millennia and we do ourselves a great disservice to disregard all that and say well they didn't really understand what they were doing well yeah yeah they kind of did <laughs> and how arrogant of us to presume that we don't need to read the Bible with the church. Mm-hmm. But that's yeah. kind of my, I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that or you well, want to go to the next I, one. I, I ran into today, or not today, but this week on a Facebook group, uh, 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 an individual who was promoting annihilationism, right? A heresy that has been rejected by the church forever, right? Now, right. what's interesting is she gets a lot of things right, this individual, Right, uh, a lot of the doctrines about God, predestination, right? Her soteriology was well, things like that. But then you get to, you get to, annihilationism, and I actually boiled it down. I believe that that heresy is actually an attack on the doctrine of who God is. Yes, it yes. it precisely attacks the eternality of God, mm. His holiness, and our sin against a holy, perfect, eternal God. Right. Our punishment is not eternal because our sin is so bad in and of itself. It's because of who our sin is against, right? Our eternal punishment is eternal because we are sinning against an eternal God, 
mm. and perfectly holy, yes. righteous God. And if we don't understand the nature of God, then we fall into heresies like that, right? This idea that we're just going to be annihilated mm. or maybe we'll have a temporary punishment. And but, but then you take that and then you apply that elsewhere. Well, then that weakens the gospel and the sweetness of salvation because why bother if I'm just going to be annihilated anyway? I'll right. live and do what I want and then be annihilated. Great. Get the best out of this life that I can possibly get. Who cares? So this is just one reason, right, why mm. the doctrines of God impacts the rest of our theology. When we understand who God is, the rest of theology starts to fall in place. Yes. But <laughs> if we grossly misunderstand the nature of God, well, then it starts to run off and, and impact all kinds of areas of theology uh, and can lead you, of course, to heresy. So big, big, big doctrine, really important. So what do we do from here, right? Right. Where do we go from here? Well, I think as we examine this, right, theology proper is such a big topic. And in 10 episodes, we haven't covered everything by any means. We've only opened the door. And I hope that we've opened it wide enough to give you a big view of the doctrine of God, to see the, the significance of it, to see the need for it, to see the need to study it, to examine it, to consider carefully who you're reading on the doctrine of God. Because some people play very fast and loose with doctrine, which when it comes to eschatology or some other areas of theology or, or of systematic theology, I think there can be more room for that. I think when it comes to the doctrine of God, we are at great danger of losing the centrality of what we believe if we don't get the doctrine of God right. And the thing is, the doctrine of God brings the greatest comfort. When I reflect on the providence of God and on God's act as creation, as creator, and on the triunity of God, and on the simplicity of God, these things drive me to worship, to humility, and ultimately to recognize that my salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, mm. according to the scripture alone, and to the glory of God alone. And that I want to worship this God and I want to honor him. So the cost is high. And if we start teaching things, as you alluded to there with annihilationism, that, that vary, we run awry, we, we, we butt up against the truth of who God is. We're saying untrue things about him. And that's a danger. Uh, and so I have here my little, my little diss list of, before we get into like recommended reading, like where do you go from here? My diss list starts with, don't read Wayne Grudem on the Trinity. No. Unless you're trying to study to understand the eternal functional subordinationist position or the eternal subordination of the sun, which we can talk about more in Christology when we get mm -hmm. there, but mm -hmm. don't read it. Like, unless you want to study it for yourself, don't, don't read it as an expert, right? The problem you're going to run into, and also with Bruce Ware on the doctrine of God, they both affirm EFS. They both doubled down on it. They both try to weasel out of it and say, well, no, but we, we, we affirm eternal generation, but we don't mean by that what the Orthodox mean by it. And I'm not accusing them of being heretics. I'm just saying their doctrine of God leaves so much to be desired and is yes. ultimately problematic in too many ways to ignore. Yes. I would also toss in there some of John's fr John Frame's chapters on the doctrine of God, particularly immutability and passability. He posits some very strange things to try and get around the implications of immutability and to avoid saying that it's all anthropomorphic language 
when we see God's emotions. Yeah. And there's a great discussion of this on Reformed Forum. I believe it's their Christ the Center episode with Dr. James Dolezal about his book, All That Is in God. And they talk specifically about John Frame and Scott Oliphant. I believe Scott Oliphant retracted his writing, and I believe Westminster Theological Seminary Press actually pulled the books off the shelves and great. republished, which is great. wonderful. Yeah. And again, one other thing, just because they're popular, William Lane Craig and J.P. Moreland, I wouldn't read them on this. I think I think Craig has other issues. Moreland, like... Yeah I, yeah, I also wouldn't read them on a lot of things. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, you know, specifically on those, but but you get the point. Like, it, there's... And, and the reason I say this is not to diss Grunem or Ware or Frame or Oliphant or, or to, like, say that, you know, in many ways, these guys are within our evangelical tradition, within almost a, a, a quasi-Calvinistic area. And in mm-hmm. Frame and Oliphant's case, you're talking about Reformed. Like, mm-hmm. so these are brothers in Christ, but I think they're very wrong on this doctrine and it's problematic and we need to be careful here. On the flip side, though, we have some very good reading as we're wrapping up here. Uh, Justin, you want to hit those for the doctrine of God. What are some books that people can read? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we always want to point to our good friend Sam Renahan, his deity and decree, um, but also uh, Donald Fairbairns. I can always, I always get his name wrong. Uh, the Story of Creeds and Confessions. Uh, of course, The Wonderful Works of God by Herman Bovink. Uh, we can we can never go wrong with there uh, until right. you get to uh, baptism. Uh, see My also, <laughs> um, check out uh, some other good systematic theologies. You have the Institutes, obviously, uh, by Calvin. Yes. Um, you have Burkhoff's Systematic Theology. You have Bovink's full four-volume Reform Dogmatics, if you really want to get spicy. This is the um, way. <laughs> you have Van Maastricht's the, uh, Theoretical Practical Theology. Uh, also, you can check out Owen and Cox's Systematic yes. Theology as well uh, for my Baptist boys. Uh, another good one. Um, Trinitarian Theology, Blake, where where might they look? Dude. So, Delighting in the Trinity by Matthew Reeves is a joy. Introduction to the Trinity by Scott Swain doesn't get super deep, but it's in the title. It's Introduction. The Mystery mm-hmm, of the Trinity mm-hmm. Lecture Series by R.C. Sproul is wonderful. Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, even though my, my church history friend was like, I don't know about some of the claims on some of the council stuff, but as far as like sure. the point he's making, they're really good. And also, Simply Trinity by Matthew Barrett. I'm going to try and get him on the podcast because that is one of the best books I've read on not just the, the doctrine of the Trinity, but he really touches on simplicity, classical theism, and it's very accessible, where some of the books that we're about to recommend uh, in classical theism are not quite as accessible. Sure. But simply Trinity is so easy to read, and it's so robust, and it's a very robust response to a lot of the contemporary issues, particularly social Trinitarianism, eternal functional subordinationism, and some of these things that have cropped up, these novelties in the church that really aren't novelties. They're yeah. just repainted heterodox versions of ancient heresies so i love the part (laughs) by the way there's a chapter where he starts roasting efs advocates for accidentally dipping into elements of sibelianism tritheism and arianism yeah you know just a little casual uh but as far as classical theism justin uh what are some books that folks can read to to learn about simplicity to learn about Mm -hmm. uh the operations of god yeah, absolutely. Uh, back to Sam. Uh, check out his God Without Passions. Um, it's fantastic, specifically on impassibility. Yes. Uh, Dolezal's uh, All That Is in God, as well as his God Without Parts, mm. are brilliant, brilliant works on this. Um, yes. And then, of course, the same God who works all things, the inseparable, inseparable operations in Trinitarian theology by our friend Adonis Vadu, who was just on. Uh, so check that out as well. Uh, totally, totally worth the investment. Um, yeah, yeah, good stuff. 
We love it. Well, thank you guys for joining us this week. And uh, guys, if you want to get more Distilling Theology in your feed, head over to facebook.com slash Distilling Theology to follow us, get updates like we had some updates of delayed episodes. Check that out. Also, giveaway updates. Head over to instagram.com slash Distilling Theology or at Distilling Theology on Instagram to get more Distilling Theology content. You'll see photos of books, of whiskey, of merchandise, of Glencairn glasses, all the recommendations, all the time. Super fun. We love it. We can't wait. We are also proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters, a network of doctrinally sound podcasts from a Reformed perspective. You can get all the shows and all their back catalogs at reformedpodcasts.com. Giveaway is still running through this Friday, July 2nd, and the winner is going to be announced next Tuesday on July 6th. So head over to stillingtheology.com slash giveaway, get in while you can, and I mean, good luck. And if you guys want more Distilling Theology, head over to patreon.com slash distillingtheology to get discounts in our online store, extended conversations, early release episodes, and some exclusive bonus content. Patronage begins at $4.99 per month, and you get the content with that. Or at $14.99 a month after three months, you'll get your exclusive patron-only mug as well as some extra content. We're really, really excited. We love it. There's some exciting things going on. So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink. Do all to the glory of God. <laughs> Are you going to say the thing? Oh, yeah. Slowly Dale Glory. <laughs> <laughs> My man. <laughs>